I'm just going to start with like a, a generic an announcement, which I'm going to start from Romans 14. I never, I never knew the day would come when I'd actually say these words. Um, no one ever told me this at Bible College that you're going to have to talk on this subject one day. Not that I'm going to talk on this subject, but that I have to address this subject. But this is from Romans 14. And uh, it says this verse, verse one, welcome those who are weak in faith, but not for the purpose of quarreling over opinions. Some believe in eating anything, while the weak eat only vegetables. Those who eat must not despise those who abstain, and those who abstain must not pass judgment on those who eat. For God has welcomed them. Who are you to pass judgment on the servants of another? It is before their own Lord that they stand or fall, and they will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Now, we, we could put lots of different things in this bit, but I'm going to do this because this is, quite, this is the flavor of the month. I'm not picking on anyone because it works both ways, okay? Welcome those that we're in our church. We have probably per capita, more than anyone else in the UK, we have probably, I'd say, about 40% flat earthers in this congregation and 60 globies. <laughs> so, all right. So you've got flat, I'm going to call them flatties and globies, okay? All right. So welcome those who are flatties in faith, but not for the purpose of quarreling over opinions. Some believe in a ball, while the others believe it's flat. Those who say it's a ball must not despise those who say it's flat, and those who say it's flat must not pass judgment on those who say it's a ball. For God has welcomed them. Who are you to pass judgment on the servants of another? Okay, so if we could all just be kind to one another and not argue about such things, that would be great. Thank you. <laughs> okay, see me afterwards. Okay, right. Okay. So, let's uh, look at Romans 8 as our main scripture tonight, today rather. It says, um, this is from Romans 8 verse 31 that was read out earlier. What then can we say in response to all of this? All of this being all this amazing stuff that Paul has just mentioned in Romans chapter 8 how we are, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, how that we have the Spirit of God living in us, how that, that same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is at work in our mortal bodies giving us life, how that we go through the process of glorification, He who justified us also glorified us. So he then says, so what should we say in response to all of this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Okay, if God is for us, who can be against us? The thing that immediately comes to my attention here is if God is for us, who? Who can be against us? It's not necessarily what can be against us, but who can be against us? Because most of the things that, that hurt us and afflict us and influence and affect and infect us the most in, in life is not so much through circumstances, but actually comes through people. Yeah, in fact, most things on earth that cause even harm or good things or whatever, actually, <laughs> one way or another, comes about through people, if we're honest with ourselves. You know, if you're having a bad day um, and then you pass on that bad day to other people, then you're giving them a bad day. So, you know, and likewise, and so on and so forth. So if God is for us, who can be against us? And I feel God wants to encourage people today that you might be in situations where you have people against you. 
where you are in a workplace that might be quite uh, well, you've got a lot of aminosity towards you. You might be in a situation where sorry, yeah, aminosity. You may be in a what, what did I say? Oh, sorry. Okay, so my words are getting slurred. So aminosity, thank you. So you might be in a place that might be quite a difficult place to be in. Um, but if God is for us, who can be against us? And I guess what Paul is saying is, is, look, what can we say in response to all of this? And sometimes I think as Christians, we, we, we get too bogged down with our daily lives. We get too bogged down with the arguments. We get too bogged down with the domesticity of life, don't we? And sometimes we forget that we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Sometimes we forget that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Sometimes that we forget that no matter how bleak or dark our situation is, we have a God that is more than able to make us more than conquerors, who is able to make a way where there is no way. All right? He is for us and he is not against us and uh, so Mary and Martha okay this is a, a good a good comparison uh, I know it annoys any Marthas in the room today you can be a man and be a Martha okay I'm not putting my hand up I'm quite clearly a Mary yeah right <laughs> I'm the guy that just sits there like let's spend more time with Jesus um, okay so Mary and Martha it was interesting Tracy brought this out in in the communion last week was it in the evening service yeah so where, where Jesus says to Martha, because Martha's like, she's busy doing all the, all the uh, you know, trying to do all the cooking and getting all these pots and pans all on the go and stuff. And uh, she, she, you know, suddenly we've had the, these, these uh, apostles and everyone's all just turned up last second, probably without any warning. So she's, you know, having to prepare everything. And while she's doing it all on her own, because obviously in those days the men didn't help, right? Because that was the culture of the time. So they're all sat around just like, hey, Ma hey Mary, Martha, can I have a cup of tea? You can I have a cup of tea too, Martha. I can see you busy. Can I have a cup of tea? Uh, Jesus, can I have a cup of tea, Martha? So they're all sat around having, having their time. And, but Mary is sat down and she's listening to Jesus. But Martha's caught up in all the busyness and the hustle and the bustle. And, and Jesus says, you are troubled by many things. She, in other words, she is fractured. It's not just about getting the dinner on obviously something in her nature she's fractured and troubled about lots of different things not just the dinner she's probably one of those people that's like you know oh I've just you know I've got so many things that so many things to do and and, and I've got this to do and I've got that and I'm worried about this and what we're going to do about tomorrow and we've got a plan for this and we've got to think for that and, I, and, and, and probably a bit of a perfectionist away as well any perfectionist in the room today yeah there's a couple of those right everything you know the thing that annoys perfectionists more than anything else is chaos chaos they love it they can't stand it they can't cope with it it's like oh, I can't cope with this you know if things don't quite go according to plan but you know what something I've learned about God is that God has a lot of order but he also has an order which seems beyond our understanding of order in other words his order sometimes looks a bit of a mess his order looks a bit chaotic you know I've been in places where God is at his business and the place is just chaos you know, I said this last time that I was, uh, when I was in Malaysia a long time ago, we had to do some teaching and preaching at these, uh, I can't recall what they're called, long houses. So they were these houses up on stilts, and they were very long, right? Hence the name, long houses. And they were up on, the, up on these sort of like bamboo stilts, and we had, to, we had to go there and do some teaching and stuff. And uh, mostly it was all the pastors that did teaching, but that night they let me have a go. I must have been about 21. 
Yeah, so um, I was like, scrappy-doo, let me at him, let me at him. And, um, you know, I had to have someone putting his finger on my tail saying, just calm down, Chris. And, um, and that night, I remember God moving. And, and, and this wasn't because of me, this was just because God was doing his thing. And it was chaos. There were people falling around all over the place. All sorts of stuff was going on. I had no idea. I mean, I was just trying to preach a message. You know, I was like, you know, saying all these things and people were falling down and all sorts of stuff. And, uh, and I remember the, the pastor guy saying, Chris, I don't, know, I don't know what you said, but it seems to be working. And uh, I had no idea. It was a complete, utter mess. It was chaos. But God was in it. And God was changing people's lives and God was setting people free. Because sometimes God's way of doing things might make a bit of a mess in our life. Amen. And who's up for having their lives messed up by Jesus? Careful what you're saying. <laughs> See, some people are like, yeah, I'm just going to keep my hand down. In principle, I agree, but I just don't want to commit to it. Okay. <laughs> God wants to mess up our lives, but in, in, a really, in a really good way. I was listening to this podcast this morning that Tracy was talking about, that Tracy was listening to, sorry, and it was about leadership coaching. And he, he used to be this young guy and he grew up and he became a mega church pastor. But he felt that God was calling him into going into sort of life coaching, but for pastors on a, on a much bigger scale. And he was like, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I've got, I'm a pastor of a megachurch. This place is huge. Why, why would I want to give up that and, and go to this? And he said, sometimes we belittle or, or, or not make big the potential fun we could have with God if we chose to do what he said. Sometimes we look at what we've got, but we underplay what we could have in God because we think the risk isn't worth it. All right, I'll say it again. We look at what we've got and we underplay what we could have because we're not prepared to take the risk that God is calling us to do. Because there, there, is, there is an adventure. There is a mess that we could all have for Jesus. And it doesn't matter. You don't have to be a church leader. You'd be anywhere. You'd do anything. Whatever it is that God is calling you to do, just start stepping out there and doing things and you will see God do wonderful things. If God is for us, who can be against us? And I was thinking, even I think it was this morning or the other day, I was thinking how, how much God has changed me and Tracy. Hi guys, you all right? I was thinking how much God has changed me and my wife over the years. Um, I, I remember when we first planted our first church, what an idiot I was. I mean, we, Tracy wasn't, I was, right? <laughs> Tracy knew what she was doing. I was just like bumping into stuff and knocking things over. And I just think, you know, where I was to where I'm now, I know, I know I'm still a bit of an idiot, but I'm, I'm not as much an idiot as I was. But the things that God has done in me, the change that he's brought about in me, the joy that I have in God, the depth that I have in God, the relationship I have with God, the knowledge that he's given me in his scriptures. Because here's another thing, right? The stuff that I know now, I didn't need to know beforehand because, you know, I wasn't leading anybody. So if you're not leading anybody, I mean, as soon as I became like a, this pastor type thing, it was almost then God equips you and anoints you to do the job. And then suddenly you were just, I was getting downloads in the spirit. Like, I want you to be aware of this teaching. I want you to be aware of that teaching. I want you to counteract this teaching. It was just like on and on and on and on. But he was, what he was doing was making me wiser and, and more able and more robust in my theology. So when things like hyper grace came along, I immediately spotted it and could rebuff it and, and various other things along the way and God gives you a wisdom but you don't need that wisdom sometimes unless you're doing the job 
So what I'm trying to, trying to challenge you to is that if God is calling you to do something and you're thinking, well, it's better to, it's better to stay safe and stay over here because I know what this is and I'm comfortable with that, or is it better to go into the unknown thinking that God could expand my territories, expand my borders, expand my knowledge, expand my walk with God beyond anything that I'm currently at in this present place? Because this is what God, I believe, wants for us, every one of us. Now, you might be thinking, well, Chris, you know, it's right for you. You do what you do. But I'm just like, you know, I don't know. I'm just, uh, um, I just work out in a checkout or something. Or, uh, you know, I'm, a, I'm just a girl that works in a cocktail bar or something. I feel a song coming on. Um, you know, something like that. I don't know. And you might think, how could, how could God possibly use me? But I remember just simply when I, many years ago, I used to work for this company called Anglian Windows. Right? Anyone had a, all right, easy. I said I did, all right? Past tense, very expensive, great windows though. Um, right, so past, so past tense, so. Sorry? Yeah, I know, Everest, they were pretty good as well. But anyway, I worked for Anglian, right? So, and I remember, I worked with them for a few years and I started there as like on the YTS. Do you remember anyone doing the YTS? Yeah, that, you can all boo at that. Boom. All right, yeah, slave labor. So I started out on the YTS and then I got a job and they made me into a carpenter and realized I was rubbish with wood. So then they made me into this, that, and the other, and I was rubbish at that. And eventually they made me into a fitter. So I used to go around fitting all the windows. So if there's any terrible windows out there, it's not me. All right, so, so I, was out, I was working with them. And one day, I mean, I enjoyed that job. And one day I just felt God saying to me, it's time for you to leave. But I grew up with those guys. You know, they were really good fun and stuff. But sometimes, you know, you just feel that calling in your spirit. And, you, and it's just like, it's time to go. But every time that I've been obedient to God and I've done those little steps and those little steps and those little steps, God's led me on a merry dance, but a good merry dance. So I'm in a place now where I never would have dreamed that I would have been. Now I know I'm only a pastor of like a local church and nothing big or anything like that. But for me, you know, where I came from, I was really, I was really a man full of fear. I used to be so fearful. And for where I've come from to where I am now is a big deal for me. And God wants to encourage you with that in the sense of wherever you are at, doesn't matter if you're, you know, if you're in, a, in McDonald's flipping burgers or, or whether you're a CEO or whatever, what matters is that if God is telling you to do something, even though it looks a little bit shaky and a bit uncertain what the future could hold, maybe it's just time to start stepping out. Because if God is for you, well, who can be against you? What can stop you? What can resist you? Now, don't get me wrong. That's a stupid question, really. What can resist you or who can resist you? Because we all know who, who will try and resist you. I was speaking to someone earlier today. He was, he was saying that, isn't it interesting that after last week, you know, that a lot of people seem to have some kind of breakthrough, but then this week it was almost like an attack on marriages and relationships and stuff. And, and I got the pictures that, you know, when, when we come into a place of breakthrough, we are taking back territory that A belongs to us, but the devil has taken it from us many years ago. And we are gradually inching our way forward. But you've got to understand, when you inch your way forward and take territory back from him, you don't think he's going to sit there and take it, do you? He's going to resist you. But the Bible says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he shall flee. Now, where it says he shall flee, in the Greek it means to run like he's scared for his life. Now, I want you to think about that. The devil, man, you, you don't want to mess with him. I mean, he is, he is bad. He is really bad. But we can still submit to God 
and stand firm. And having done all to stand firm, we just resist the devil and he will leg it. He will flee. You know, he tried it on with Jesus in the wilderness. I mean, he'll, he'll try it on. If you go try it on with Jesus, I mean, do you think, do you want, if he will try it on with him of all people, he's definitely going to try it on with you and me. All right. And so we've got to do what Jesus did. It is written. It is written. It is written. Even when you get bored of it, because it keeps coming, it keeps coming, it keeps coming. Yeah, but it is written. It is written. Yeah, but you did that. Yeah, but it is written. I've forgiven. All my sins have been forgiven from the east as far as this one is. Yeah, but you did this. Get thee behind me, Satan. And eventually, he will just go away. All right, he will go. If God is for us, who can be against us? Now listen to this in verse 32. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us. How then can he fail also to give us everything else along with him? All right. So the Paul is trying to really bring out this point here. Guys, God did something. Let me explain something that God did to you. OK, just 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 let me go on this little bit of a, a tangent for a minute. OK. So Satan came into the garden, he deceived Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve fell. So then God clothed Adam and Eve with, with garments and then from Genesis 5 he gave through the genealogy a plan that he was going to do to bring salvation back to the earth. Okay, And then through, through Abraham, then through Abraham came the patriarchs, through the patriarchs came Joseph. Joseph was then sent off to the land of Egypt and then jo Joseph did the right thing, he was raised up at the right time and then he saved Israel from destruction. Then eventually through, through the Exodus story, Moses led the people of, of, uh, out of the land of Egypt into Mount Sinai where they came into a covenant with the living God. When they'd had that covenant with the living God, they came in, they took the, they took the territory, they took Israel and made it their own homeland, which would then become the promised land, which the Messiah was going to be born through, through the people of Israel, which, the, which he had promised and prophesied that he was going to be born through them. And then came the kings like David and all the prophecies that related to him and then eventually at some point in history the incarnate God who was from eternity past decided through his own prophetic word which gave him flesh he came into a virgin's womb and took on human flesh and came out fully God fully man and then lived amongst us for 30 years then died on a cross for all of our sins then went into the grave went down to hell and did stuff down there we're not quite sure of so you and I don't have to go down there then he rose again from, from, from the dead he went into heaven and he is seated at the right hand of God the Father, far above all powers and principalities and dominions. And, that's, and then Paul goes on to say, he didn't spare his own son, but gave it him up all for us. How then can he fail also to give us everything else along with him? What does that mean? It means we're co-heirs with Christ. It means that we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. That if God is for us, who can be against us? By him I can run through a troop, I can leap over a wall. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. That same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is at work in my mortal body, giving me life. We, he's given us his spirit, it's in us, it's on us, it's through us. He's given us the mind of Christ. If God be for you, who can be against us? And if he gave up his son and went through all of that historical effort to make Christ the incarnate God, a God who took on flesh and is fully God and fully man, he did all that just so that you could be sat here today, just so that you can have a seat in heaven, just so that you can have your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. 
yeah, but I've got all these dishes to do and I've got bills and I've got all this and I've got all that and I've got this stuff going on in my life and I, I'm so bogged down. This is what Paul is trying to say. We become what we look at. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And sometimes we get so focused on the earthiness of our existence and not on the heaviness, heavenliness of our existence. A few weeks ago, we, we met this man and uh, he was telling us about, he, he works, does stuff for the government. And he, he does a lot of like enterprises for them. And, and everything he does is about kingdom. He tries to bring kingdom. Even though they don't know that's what he's doing. They're bringing, he's bringing kingdom to everything. And he said, do you want to know why and how I do this? He said, uh, several years back, um, he said, uh, I think Pope John Paul II, he went to his funeral. I don't know why, but he felt that he should go there. And uh, when he was there, he was praying to God about all these different things and, oh, Lord, this and, oh, Lord, that. And then he stops and said, Lord, what have you got to say? How do you feel? And then he said, suddenly he had this vision that and it wasn't like a, I think I saw this. He saw it. The heavens opened up and the glory of God just shone down on him and he fell onto the floor. Bear in mind, he's like, there's probably thousands and thousands and thousands of people all around him. He fell onto the floor and God gave him this download and basically said to him, you have got to bring heaven down onto the earth. You have got to be a carrier of kingdom and give kingdom to everybody. You have got to be a manifestation of heaven on the earth that when people encounter you, they can taste something of heaven. And that's what he did. It transformed his life. So he now has this ministry of doing secular things, but bringing in kingdom principles so people can experience kingdom in everyday things. And he does all these kind of projects and stuff. And I really feel that's what God wants us to do as well. He wants us to encourage us, is that we have a kingdom inside of us. And I don't think we really understand what this kingdom is sometimes. It's that we have this big disconnect in Christianity where it's like, I know what the Bible says, and I know that that is kind of what I'm supposed to be, but we don't necessarily always walk in the reality of that truth. And I think that's the challenge for all of us. And I went to Bible college, you learn all this stuff and you come out the other end and it's like, you know, you walk around like that because your head's so heavy, but there's nothing going on down here. And it takes the next 20 years to get that stuff to pop down into your heart so it becomes living reality. And that should be something that every one of us should be endeavouring to do. Taking this stuff, taking these concepts, these precepts, these ordinances, these commandments, and, and getting it in there, but also getting it in your heart so that it becomes a living, breathing reality that God can use to change nations. And brothers and sisters, God wants to change nations. You know, there is something that is coming, something that is wonderful. And, and, but, but we are the answer to the problem. We are, we are the ones that, you know, you know, in this time of great darkness we're coming into, I mean, it's gonna get, it's gonna get pretty rough, like rougher than you probably think. It's gonna get really rough. Yet, in that, I just want you to think of the 12 apostles for a minute. The Roman Empire had, Jesus said, pay taxes to these guys, right? Pay taxes to the Roman Empire. These guys were the militant dictators of the world. They had basically put a stranglehold on the people of Israel, upon everything and who they were. It was the darkest and lowest time for all of Israel. And yet at that time, 
God came in, became flesh, dwelt amongst us. I love how Jesus never really ever goes on about the Romans. He just like mentions them like once or twice, but never ever really says anything about them. And then he basically then got these 12 guys. And those 12 guys in the, in the midst of the most hedonistic, militant government, despotic government the world had ever seen at that time, 12 guys and a few others, something happened and they literally turned the world upside down. They weren't highly educated. They didn't go to Bible college, although Paul, Paul did. Uh, they didn't, you know, they weren't, they weren't these like highly educated people. These were just normal people doing normal nine to five type jobs. Unless you're a fisherman, it's probably more nine to five at night in the morning. But you know, they just did, these were just normal guys, normal people. You know, even if you look at the 12, 12 disciples, I mean, you have, you have Judas, not, not the one that betrayed him. There's another Judas there as well. And, uh, you know, he, he was a part of the radical guys that wanted to see the, the Romans kicked out. You know, so, so Jesus had a right bunch of ragtag. I mean, Jesus had flat earthers, globies. He had premillennialists, amillennialists, postmillennialists. He, you know, he had the whole lot. And yet he used those guys to change history. But what did they do? They didn't do anything extraordinary. They didn't, they didn't like set themselves up this amazing ministry. They didn't, didn't set themselves up a charity or do all this, that, do that. They just went out and they just told the message and they impacted people's lives. Those people's lives got impacted and then it began to snowball and began to snowball and then Christianity just spread throughout the whole world and it literally defeated the Roman Empire. It took 350 years because the Roman Empire don't like being defeated and they gave the Christians a pretty good kicking over it, but it was the love of God through the Christians that, that basically turned Rome from being anti-Christian to being pro-Christian. Now, I don't care what YouTube videos you think you've watched on how Constantine and all that stuff, whatever you think it is, you know it's wrong. If you actually read people like Athanasius who were church historians and read what they say, you'll get a much better angle that, 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 you know, when Rome converted, it was a genuine thing. It wasn't a Roman Catholic thing because Roman Catholicism didn't exist as you know it until AD 750. God did some amazing things throughout history. If God is for us, who can be against us? God didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us. How then can he fail also to give us everything else along with him? And as was said earlier in the service, if God has called you to do something, then he will give you the time to do it. And also the Bible says that we've been called for acts of service before the foundation of the earth began. Now think about that. The Bible says the cross was created before the foundation of the earth. Jesus is the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth. That means before God even created the earth, he knew the devil was gonna come in, whom he had created. He also knew that the whole of mankind was gonna fall before he even created a flat or ball, okay? He knew what was coming. And you think, why did he do that? Why did he allow all that to happen knowing that it was going to happen? I know you can ask God, all right, because I don't know the answer to that one. But the point is, is God provided everything before it was needed. Christ, the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth. How, how can he be the lamb that's slain before the foundation of the earth? Because he's not in time. That's good. Good bit of Greek thinking there at the back there. Nice one. Okay, yes, he's not in time, but it therefore means in eternity past, 
that it was a title that he gave to himself knowing full well that he would always be the one that there would come a moment in future history where God was going to create an earth and that somehow that this earth Jesus always knew he was going to become physically incarnate and he always knew that he was going to have to die on a cross which means somehow mysteriously that in the eternity of God earth was always a plan and Christ dying was always a plan as long as God has been God for all eternity God always knew that he was going to have to take on flesh and die for us and here's the other thing if he knew this, I forgive me if you like, have to listen to the tape and rewind it, rewind it if we had tape. All right. So I appreciate that this might be a little bit mind blowing, but I want you to think about this. If that's true for Christ and if that's true for salvation, then whatever it is God has called you and I to do, do you not think he's provided the solution to the problem before time began? Yeah. Does he not know what it is that you need before you even ask him? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> And if we start to think a little bit more like that, if we start to think, right, you know, if God is for us, then who can be against us? What can stand against us? And he gives all of these things, not persecution, not even the great angelic powers or the principalities, even if they're waging war against you. Nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing and, and I just feel God wants to say as well, some of you, you're, you're in a black place. I know one or two of you are, but others I don't know. But you're in a black place. And sometimes we can, we can look at our muck and we can look at our mess and think, uh, you know what, Jesus, Jesus there's, a, there's a barrier between me and Jesus. Jesus can't be pleased with me because of this mess and this muck that I'm in, etc. But you need to understand that though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you shall fear no evil for he is with you. He will never fail you. He will never forsake you. And you must remember, whilst, it was, whilst we were still sinners, that Christ died for us. Not when we got our act together. And that when he took on human flesh. Now, I want you to think about this. The immortal, omnipotent, omnipresent, all-powerful, all-holy God that can't stand sin took on flesh and rubbed shoulders with sinners. That's how much he loves you. Can you imagine how much that must have irked his spirit? to hang around with us all day long, but he loves us and he's for us and he's not against us and that's why God went to the cross for us. And so no matter how bleak or dark your circumstances may be, and remember I'm talking to people that are listening to this uh, on our podcasts and stuff as well, God wants to say to you, I don't care how black, I don't care how dark, I don't care how deep your situation is, I am with you in the muck and in the mire, and I am your deliverer. And a deliverer takes someone from one point to another point, like a pizza, like a delivery boy, pizza to the house. If God is your deliverer, that means he's gonna take you from A and he's gonna take you to B. Lord Jesus, I pray for everyone here today, Lord God. Lord God, you have a plan and you have a purpose and you do have an eternal plan and a purpose for every one of us. Lord, I pray that you'll give us courage to step out of our comfort zones, move into new territories, Lord Jesus. Lord, let us set our faces like flint to the joy that could be ahead of us if we just obeyed and walked into those things. And Jesus, Lord, if we're in a bad place, we're in a dark place, Lord, that we can take solace knowing that you will never fail us and you will never forsake us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Thank you. Right, now why would like to...